fast, efficient and affordable business grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us. Big ones, little ones, fiddly ones, powerful ones. The ones for the car or the truck, caravan, boat, mobility scooter, solar system. In fact, for any kind of battery, go straight to Battery Central Ipswich. They'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what'll do the job. Battery Central Ipswich, 280 Brisbane Street, West Ipswich, behind the yellow building. Expert advice, better batteries, best prices, every day. That's Battery Central Ipswich. Welcome to episode 731 of Aussie Tech Heads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Till Wompkinson. How you doing, Till? Close enough. <laughs> it's been a day for it, actually. It's probably not far off it. No? Well, I mean, if uh, Willy Wonka and... Uh, was it Snow... Um, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer sequels, then anything's possible. Yeah. I ended up actually watching <laughs> it after that, and it turned out I'm pretty sure... <clears throat> I'd only seen bits of the original Snowpiercer movie or none and just snippets in a, a trailer or something because I didn't remember most of it. I certainly didn't know it was Chris Evans as the main character and I wouldn't recognise him as that. Mm. Yeah, I need to go back and watch it again, actually. In case you're wondering what we're talking about, last week we were watching a uh, on YouTube, somebody put up a thing saying that they reckon Snowpiercer is the sequel to Willy Wonka. And I can't deny that he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, the stuff that he gives examples in that seem to fit. So I have to go back and watch it again. But yeah, it sounds, uh, I mean, it's perfectly plausible, put it that way. <laughs> so. Perfectly plausible plot. Yes. It's How you been? I sound like, uh, what's the name out of, um, uh, is it Mr. Mr. Popper's Penguins? Yeah. <laughs> What's her name? Well, she says everything is peas. Um, uh, yeah, not too bad. It's been a weird week this week. It's been hot and cold and wet and dry and up and down and in and out. And I have had this week off work and I've been gardening. Oh, that'll teach you. <gasps> Shock horror. <laughs> yeah. Dug up a little garden bed, not a big one, and put down some uh, organic mesh to keep the weeds away and then piled on a ton of um, red wood chips and put in a few plants. Because I've got some bees now, native Australian bees with no stingers. Tiny little things they are, like little flies. Yeah, they're cool, aren't they? But they won't come out at the moment because um, it's too cold. Yeah. So I moved them to where they get a bit more sun and then it rains, so they didn't get either. They're just going to be raining for a week or so at the moment. Oh, who knows? What's going on? Like it, you can literally travel around here. You can travel 200 metres in any direction. And it's yep. the exact opposite of whatever it is here. Like, it's just <laughs> so weird at the moment. At least till Sunday, it's going to be raining now. So, well, it's good for my new garden anyway. I had fun. I've not actually been a gardening type person, but I bought this great big, huge hoe-matic thing <laughs> with forks on the back of it so I could dig up all the weeds that had been accumulating in there and then put in some compost and put the plants in. And then uh, I think there's another little garden bed up this end of the house that goes across past my room and up the fence, and I might put in, like, some vegetables and herbs or something in there. I'm, I'm getting all domesticated and stuff. <laughs> what's, ta- what's going on? It's only taken 50 years. I'm, I'm going to have a week <laughs> off work and do nothing and then go gardening and digging up stuff every day. And, I don't mind gardening. Uh, if it- I actually enjoyed it. I did, I did all the first digging with the hoe and getting all the weeds out. And I was like, oh, I'm bugging and I'm sweating buckets because it was a hot day. So I came in, watched an episode of uh, The 100, which I finished now. Pretty good show. And then went, I was like, hurry up. I want this episode to finish so I can go back out and plant the things. I want to put the plants in. <laughs> I was like, hang on. I was completely stuffed and I was going to do the planting the next day and then something else the next day. And I'm like, no, I want to get back in there and do stuff. Yes, it's uh, it's one of those things. I mean, I did it for a job, a, a living for many years, so yep. the novel is kind of worn off for me. But uh, I'd originally put down 
like they have black plastic and then the wood chips. And a friend of mine who's been a landscaper for 25 years said, no, rip that stuff up, put down the mesh, organic mesh stuff that'll let the the uh, aerate little let aerate let the rain through yeah. and it'll still block the weeds from coming through but it's better for the plants and the earth it, it won't really block the weeds the, the 95% of the weeds are in the top 10 mil of soil the top mil yep. of mulch right. soil because it comes in with the mulch it comes in birds drop it it comes in on the wind so almost all of your weeds don't come from unless you've turned the ground if you've turned the ground then you'll get like things like nut grass but for the most did, part yeah. most of it comes off the top anyway yeah um and weed mat yeah we the old black plastic trick that just destroys the ground yeah it makes it so hard to actually make it usable again but it turns out dad's gonna use it for his garden anyway so he wants to buy the black plastic off me i'm like well you can ruin your garden but <laughs> mine's good and i get the money back so it hasn't cost me anything except for a lesson That's it, exactly. <laughs> but yeah no it's uh it's just been one of those weeks this week and of course with the new they got Lockdown. Lockdown up here. Lock it in, Eddie. I don't know what it is. I think it was three days. I'm not sure if they extended it or not. But um, we have to wear masks all over town, or they won't let us in the shops. It's so funny. Like you say, it's, you see signs up everywhere. Everyone has to wear a mask, but you, nobody's nobody's got them on. It's uh. <laughs> everyone's over it. Everyone we're, in this little in country town, town does, and we've never had a COVID year yet. We're in a town full of farmers. The farmers don't care. The farmers know what's going on. <laughs> they got enough to worry about. Better than anyone. Yeah. So no, it's great. No one really cares. Even the pl- you know, I- the, even the police are wandering down the street doing the beat without masks on. <laughs> it's like yeah, whatever. <laughs> Everyone's over. It's been a year and a half, and they're like, no more. I got a big sign on the front of the shop. Please remove masks for the safety of our staff and security cameras. <laughs> mm. What's the point of having a camera if you can't see nobody? Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, well, it's all fun and games, I suppose. Yeah, probably know that by now that I released a new VZ game, which is a port of Ghosts and Goblins. I probably talked about yeah, we that. Talked about and, last week, uh, yeah. There was a dude on Twitter who saw the tweet about it and uh, asked me if he could do an interview with me for Kilobyte magazine about VZ games development and uh, why I chose Ghosts and Goblins and what it took to write that and things like this. So. I did a nice little interview with him, which will be in the next issue. I hadn't heard of Kilobyte Magazine, but it's got a lot of old retro stories and stuff, so I'll have to check the rest of them out. Nice. And so I decided I was going to do a platformer-type game next with the original IP, but um, I thought I changed my mind and decided to do it kind of like an adventure game, a bit like the Zelda and Link games. Yep. You go around fighting the monsters and collecting things and upgrading your weapons and things because I've never done anything like that. But um, I was trying to figure out how I could get the let the player save their progress and then reload it later because there's a, a virtual, there's a disc format for the VZ for that main emulator, which is uh, VZEM, VZM for emulator and WinVZ. And uh, it can load disk images and you can write to the disk images from inside it, but you can't get a VZ file and put it into the disk image. The developer hasn't got that. And he said it's not something he's going to look into doing soon. So I thought, well, I might be able to figure it out if I do a lot of research. And then I thought, I wonder if I could do something like Ghostbusters. Remember that? Was it you who showed me the article about how they encoded your bank account details based on your name? And then they give you a code at the end of it. If you type in the name and the code, and then you can uh, get exactly the same value that you started with. So I thought maybe I can come up with something like that and leave a code when people want to quit. And when they type the code in, it brings them back to the game where they were. Then you don't have to worry about loading and saving and disk errors. And if people got a disk drive and they want to put it on there or something, because it'd just be a single file. It's just a calculation it needs to perform to give them back what they had. Yeah. So you need to know what, um, what type of sword you got, what shield you've got, how much of the gems you've collected, how your health is and all that sort of stuff. And, work out some encoding thing the only thing i did the kind of encoding thing for was when i released a palm os game called quirl 
and um, I sold it on a Palm Gear website, and you could put in a uh, code mm-hmm. system where when people bought it from you, they would type in their Palm username, which was usually just their name, like Jason Oakley, and then a code to unlock it once you purchased it. Their, their system used uh, reverse Polish notation, which I had to learn what that was and how it worked first <laughs> and then learn how to write that in Java, which I'd never written anything in Java up till that point in time. And then also do exactly the same code in C++, which was for the game that I was writing. So I managed to come up with something fairly simple. You could probably easily reverse engineer it, but it would take some of the letters from your name, turn them into values and then, um, produce a code for that and then manage to get this java written so it would produce the same code so that when you pay for it on palm gear you could type that code in and unlock it and then save it on the system to say you've paid for it so yeah maybe something like that kind of thing and um it should be a lot of fun it's got a lot of sprites done working on the hud at the top at the moment to display what items you got and how many things you've collected and what your health and stuff is, and it's working really well, so I'm having a lot of fun there now. Sounds like a more advanced version of Windows 95 key. One, one, <laughs> one, 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 one. Oh, it's registered now. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, and um, the early websites, when you type in a credit card number and yeah. you just put 8888888888, oh, congratulations, yeah. that's a credit card number because they just worked out if the number that you typed in was divided divisible by eight. Yeah. And they go, okay, that must be a real one. Now they've got right on it and they know the difference. You can tell the difference between a Visa and a MasterCard and whether it's a valid number or not. But yeah. back then you could just say. Well, we used to have, when back when you had the old swiping machines, yep. they used to send us every week, they would send us an updated list of stolen card numbers. And you'd have to look at the card every time you got it and check it against the stolen card numbers to see if it was... That would be... How would you look through thousands? It actually wasn't that big. It was oh. really only a, a A2. Um, yeah. Yeah, it really wasn't that big. Is it A2? No, B, A4, B, B2, isn't it? The next smaller one, the half an A4. A5. A5, yeah. Yeah, it's that, half A4. You fold it in half lengthways. Yeah, it, it wasn't that big. It was surprising. And because they were, they were done in numerical order, you only had to look at the first... Like the last four digits to see where they were, and okay, that took a couple of seconds. Imagine trying to do that with stolen credit cards these now, days. Yeah. <laughs> Reams of paper, <laughs> but no, my, the, my was... petabyte hard drive can't store that many. But what I found was funny was they'd send you a list of stolen credit card numbers, but they would send you the credit card number, Visa or MasterCard, the expiry <laughs> date. <laughs> just... So, if you want it, just in case you want to get a few things yourself, but. The other thing I found funny was it said, please display this prominently where it can be seen easily. So you'd usually have it up on the wall behind the cash register. <laughs> and then you'd have... So that was in public display because you could turn around and look at it, right? And that was easy yep. to display. But then you'd have the the carbon copy part after you scan their card. After yep. you swipe their card, you've got all their details on three pieces of paper. It's on the, <laughs> the bottom piece, the carbon paper, and the top piece. The yep. top piece is going to the top drawer. You'd give them the bottom piece and the, the carbon paper you just chuck in the bin. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how is there not more credit card theft? Like, You'd think they should be. <laughs> and I also learned a very valuable lesson back in the day. If your credit card was over limit, go to an old mum and dad fruit shop or something that had um, had a mechanical card reader. Yeah. And they didn't they know the card know. was over limit, so they could still process <laughs> the card. And the bank would always honour that process. Uh, that's part of the agreement of having having those that the bank would honour it even if it was no wonder group. they got rid of it and yeah and um, <laughs> so if it gets to the end of the week and I'm out of money and out of food I'd go down to the local thing local mum and dad place and get, get, it in. get 20 bucks for the groceries <laughs> to do me and then you know I knew they'd get paid for it so I wasn't worried it wasn't like uh, I was ripping off because yeah. we had the same thing at work like yep. I'd often buy stuff from work just so I could put <laughs> so I could survive <laughs> so <laughs> Back in the days of working full time and earning what, 200 bucks a week for your, for your privilege. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, that, those were the good old days. Talking of security, I went into a business yesterday and they had a, a form there 
that said this needs to be signed by everyone who comes into the building for COVID tracking. They didn't have a scan thing. Yeah. And it, you had to put down your name, address, phone number, date you came, what time and everything. And then this was left up on the front counter in front of the, re- Which the is receptionist. That's, that's actually a $5,000 instant on the spot fine, but yeah. With, with a line of text at the bottom under the stuff in the heading saying, please keep this out of sight of other customers to ensure privacy secure yeah. and privacy yeah i was like hmm that's not a terribly good idea is it that's, a, that's an instant on the spot fine of five thousand dollars per offense so if there was 50 names in that it'd be five thousand dollars times 50 ah yeah there's only about 10 most people so, i was well i was there i didn't even know about it was there they never told me you no. need to sign this nobody who came in or went out signed it while i was there you don't need to anyway i was like oh i'm not gonna worry (laughs) but that's funny they did that they tried that at the library up here um for a very short period of time until it was full of you know um jim beam and coca-cola and bundy rum ken tucky fried chicken (laughs) you know and i had i don't think there was one real name in the entire book and i think that lasted about two days and went yeah well (laughs) (laughs) there's too much trouble so. Who can be bothered with all that in all the places? Mm, exactly. <sighs> yeah. Well, should we do some news? Uh, I suppose we can try something. Researchers from a Hong Kong-based security vendor accidentally <laughs> published a proof of concept for a new and unpatched vulnerability affecting the principal service on all current versions of Windows. <laughs> Bucking concerns that ransomware criminals could add the bug to their arsenals. The exploit allows for both local privilege escalation and remote code execution. It was published on GitHub by researchers from Sangfor ahead of their presentation at the Black Hat Security Conference. It appears Sangfor researchers wrongly thought their proof of concept referred to a recently patched critical Windows printer spooler service vulnerability with a common vulnerability scoring system version 3.0 rating of 7.8 out of 10. However, other researchers tried out their for proof of concept on patch window systems and discovered it still worked. After realizing this, Sangfor's researchers deleted the technical details and proof of concept yeah, code sure. from GitHub. <laughs> if it's been put on the internet, it's always going to be on the internet. Uh... You can't just delete it and hope it's... The proof of concept code is already being circulated with some security researchers calling it a zero-day exploit that can be used to take over active directory domain controllers. Currently, exploitation of the vulnerability for remote code execution appears to require authentication. Serious vulnerabilities have long plagued Windows principal service, which was added to the operating system in the mid-90s. So, yeah. <laughs> don't use your principal service. You don't have a choice anymore. If you've got a network That's printer right. or a wireless printer or a printer of any sort now, Goes by default the it uses it. <laughs> so. Well, the hack's out there if you want it. Get into someone's system. I mean, okay, it's not really it. going to worry the average mum and dad. It's going to no. be a, a, a corporate thing, but... If your computer, if your <laughs> printer starts printing out number five is alive a hundred times over... <laughs> Johnny, five. You might be hacked. Put, no, this is Ambo. The fun thing is that yeah, I Johnny Five. I can't see it because it's pretending to be a green screen. <laughs> <laughs> Always funny when when the um, printer's uh, user interface was not secured, and you could get the printer instead, instead of saying "out of paper" to say "help, I'm drowning" or yeah. "please help me, I want coffee" or something. Yeah, dead fish. Dead fish. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so. PC load letter. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Press any key. <laughs> so that was a good one. We used to have because we were an authorized HP um, printer uh, repair center. Yep. We used to have fun with some of those old, the old HP LaserJet threes and stuff like that. Ah. Uh, had an old, you know, little two line dot matrix screen on it. Yep. But you could change some of the error codes. So yeah, you had a paper instead of it saying out of paper, you could say something like um um. You know, you just do something to put it in a continuous loop. So, like, press OK to continue or something like that. And that yeah. you'd get service calls going, my printer's not working. <laughs> <laughs> I pressed OK and it still said to press OK. 
Uh, not that I'd recommend and condone anybody who does that, mind you. Right. <laughs> but if you've got to fulfill your service contracts, you've got to fulfill your service contracts. <laughs> it reminds me of when I was a teenager and I used to go into computers with autoexec.bat and oh, put in yeah. a thing that would automatically run this program and it said, how to keep an idiot entertained for hours on end. Press, press any press key bar. to continue. Yeah. So you press it and it says, how to keep an idiot entertained. Yeah. Yeah, you like do, I'm uh, pressing it. Nothing else is happening. What's going on? I when you could you do the um, the uh, do uh, MBR space uh, MBR space forward slash B. Yep, and then press any key to continue loading Windows. And you press any key and it acknowledge the format of the master boot record. <laughs> and <laughs> the thing gone. Was, it would work fine because it would not happen until the computer was restarted. Yep. So you could format the MBR and get away with it. <laughs> and it still and worked. It, and it worked all day, or two or three or four or five days until the computers were turned off. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, on Monday everybody come in, why is it just a flashing dot? What do you mean <laughs> not MBR not found? What? <laughs> we had, we had there was something that went around a place <clears throat> that our, that we were supporting when I worked for HP and the MBR would get broken on everything and you could use a boot floppy yeah. or USB or something and use fix MBR yep. and repair it but none of these things would start and it was happening to all the computers yeah fix MBR and the other one that would break was the win.sys yep. for no apparent reason win.sys would suddenly just go no I'm not there anymore <laughs> And but the thing is if you typed um I think it was something like C colon backslash Windows backslash system backslash win dot sys. It would boot the Windows. Oh, okay. And then next time it did exactly the same thing. What yeah. actually happened was for one apparent reason, it was like updating from like Windows 95A to B to C to plus. Every time it would update, it would drop the path equals command out of the auto accept bat. Oh, so right. path so equals Windows backslash it. system wasn't there anymore. So it just couldn't find the file even though the file was there. <laughs> uh, anyway, stuff. that's old school. <laughs> Speaking of old school, Patreon. Okay, it's not that old, but it is. it is a way to give us money. Um, yeah, Patreon.com like slash Aussie Tech Heads. Uh, ko-fi.com uh, slash Aussie Tech Heads. Um, you can do a PayPal donation or a bank, per, or you can do the old fashioned way and send us a birthday card with sc- scratches. You know, whatever Pop into Wheel Shop and give him a. F- 20. Yeah, come to Battery Central and uh, come see us in Ipswich and um, get a discount. We'll give you a, give you a discount, and you can give me money, and that kind of counts. You can have discount <laughs> and that count and any count you want. That's it. And uh, no, it really does help, guys. It helps us keep things happening and rolling. And what? <laughs> it. What I'm trying to Somebody's say. Somebody's hacked well. <laughs> Is that Till Wonkinson coming out? Wonka Vision. Um, <laughs> What I was trying to say is it looks like Glenn's trying to actually upgrade his computer too because he sent me a message the other day saying, What's this, what system are you running and what specs is it? And I sent him the thing back, so we'll see. Uh-huh. Said, so you can have everything except the graphics card. You can't, you can't have a graphics card. <laughs> you can't card, buy one. You can have the rest of the system. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh. so hopefully you won't be recording in Toast anymore. And we've got this sponsor thing here. Blue Ration. Blue, blue, blue Ration. Shaggy. Uh, yeah, Blue Ocean is um, it's just a it's an amalgamation. So previously we had uh, Aussie Tech Heads, we had um, uh, whatever they were. I don't know, I can't remember. The other people used to advertise, but <laughs> um, start a new company and uh, there's another one. But yeah, they're basically it's all been amalgamated now. It's all in Blue Ocean web hosting. Yep, and that's Glenn doing his thing and and trying to help the listeners. What a website. So. Go see him. Yeah, you can still you can the ATH will continue to work. Um yep. and we'll still be Aussie Tech Heads and the ATH domain will still continue to work. So if you've got an existing site there, that's fine. But you can go to Blue Ocean and um get the new and improved the uh, spa fast speedy servers and all that sort of stuff. Funky server. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. But uh but yeah, that that aside. Um speaking of stuff on the internet, which there we go. There's a segue that worked. We are. <laughs> Tim Berners-Lee. Um, he had something to do with the internet, didn't he? He had some, some small part to play. I don't know. Some minor role. 
Um, he has sold his uh, World Wide Web source code as an NFT for $5.4 million. Nice. Um, i got some source code. Can I send it, sell it for that? <laughs> Probably not, no. I, I, I would <laughs> doubt. I mean, you could try. And 10 points for free creativity. Uh, the creator of World Wide Web, Tim Berners-Lee, has sold NFT version of his source code from the early 90s for just over 5.4 mil. Source code for World Wide Web 1990-91 was purchased as a non-fungible token NFT. I saw something the other day too. It was NGT or something, like a non-gatable token or something. Uh-huh. Um, paid for crypto through Sotheby's Auction House. Um, NFTs are used to verify unique items. Blockchain created certificate of authenticity. Use a digital asset for art in this case. Source code. The work included original archive, dated and timestamped files for the source code written between 3rd of October 1990 and 24th of August 91. They can turn the code with approximately nine thousand, approximately nine thousand five hundred and fifty-five lines. Wow, <laughs> that's a very approximate figure. <laughs> um, so yeah, so basically, the, the uh, owner now has uh, also has a thirty-minute and twenty-five-second animated vis- virtualization of the code being written on an SVG representation of the full code, which stretches eight hundred and forty-one millimeters wide by. 1189 millimeters high, which is doesn't say who bought it by Tim Berners Lee from the original user, the original Python. It's a physical, it's a graphic representation of the physical signature. Uh, the letter also has a pen, owner also has a letter pen by Berners Lee earlier in the year. Um, no, it doesn't say, not surprising, they're not going to say. Um, if I bought it, I'd be like, dudes, I bought the web. The proceeds will go to, um, Berners-Lee's selected charities. Uh, Earlier this year, Twitter CEO and co-founder Jack Dorsey sold the first ever tweet for $2.9 million. Wow. The tweet which reads, just setting up my Twitter, T-W-T-T-R. Yep. Remember when that was a thing? That was. <laughs> Twitter and Flutter and um, it was the Facebook. was purchased as an NFT paid in Ether. Uh, in Australia, Lloyd's Auction has decided blockchain is the best way to prove ownership. Of, and we're doing the show early tonight. Prove ownership. The of, set of, yeah, that's the problem. Set of negative. Not drunk enough. Um, capturing moments of Australia's history, such as Ned Kelly's armour and Farlap's winning Melbourne Cup in 1930. The auction house or Mint Rose Stereograph Company, a collection of original glass plate negatives from over 140 years of operation via NFT. So... <clears throat> yeah, interesting. NFT, all the things. Mm. And speaking of NFTs, we have a handful still available. If you're interested, if there it is. If 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 you they're non fungible. That's what means you can't have a handful. If you got them fixed, <laughs> they may have been slightly broken. The early, the early release <laughs> may have been slightly. Dewey broken. was the guinea pig. <laughs> Thanks for that, mate. <laughs> So, we've fixed since, I say we as if I had anything to do with it, we've fixed that problem, and uh, that's no longer a problem. So, now the NFT will actually work. Um, <laughs> they are costing us money, but we're happy to give away, what have we got, half, half a dozen, I think, don't we? I Something did like five as an initial run, but yeah. you can do another lot anytime. <clears throat> so, we're not going to, they're not going to do too many because they cost us money to do, but <laughs> if you would like to have one, you know what they are, and you're curious, just for and you're a, Patreon. a bit of shits and giggles, uh, hit us up and yeah, we'll... We'll head one, head one your, head one your way. We'll yep. have one headed your way, towards you once you're head. We need your engine wallet address so we can send it through. Yeah. Britain's financial regulator has ordered Binance, one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges, to stop all regulated activity and issued a warning to consumers about the platform, which is coming under growing scrutiny globally. In a notice dated June 25, the Financial Conduct Authority, FCA, said Binance Markets Limited, Binance's UK entity, must not, without written without the prior written consent of the FCA, carry out any regulated activities with immediate effect. Binance did not respond to the request for a comment. While trading of cryptocurrency is not directly regulated in Britain, offering services such as trading income cryptocurrency derivatives does require authorization. The FCA has told Binance that by June 30, it must display a notice stating Binance Markets Limited is not permitted to undertake any regulated activity in the UK 
on its website and social media channels. It must also secure and preserve all records relating to UK customers and inform the FCA this has been done by July 2. The regulator did not explain why it's taken the measures against Binance, which has said previously that it takes its legal obligations very seriously and engages with regulators and law enforcement in a collaborative fashion. The FCA is stepping up its oversight of cryptocurrency trading, which has soared in popularity in Britain along with other countries around the globe. Since January, the FCA has required all firms offering cryptocurrency-related services to register and show they comply with anti-money laundering rules. However, earlier this month, it said that just five firms had registered and the majority were not yet compliant. Japan's regulator said on June 25 that Binance was operating in the country illegally, a notice posted on Japan's financial services agency website showed. Countries don't really understand the concept of a crypto, do they? They don't understand crypto at all. They're like, crypto's <laughs> bad, crypto's evil, we're investing in it, all our banks are investing in it, all the rich people are investing in it, but it's evil, you shouldn't. And we need you to display a sign saying that you can't use them. Yeah. We're not actually, we can't actually stop you from trading <laughs> at all, but you must put up a sign, otherwise we're going to do absolutely nothing about it. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's what it is. They're not yeah. hosted in that country, they have no affiliation with that country. And if they don't display the sign, there's no recourse. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's that's a that's a very naughty boy. Talk about a toothless dog. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about the A Triple C. I was going to say it's nearly as bad as the A Triple C. I think we've got a story about that. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a story about them. Although, speaking of toothless dogs, Queensland Police use checking app, um, checking app data. So despite the assurances of the government, both state and federal, uh, as proven two weeks ago, the Western Australian Police, or South Australian Police, one of the two, used um, data from the checking app to find somebody. And this week, Queensland Police have used data collected by the checking app to find somebody. (coughs) So apparently people don't understand the concept of um, you can't do that and this is private data you don't have access to. Um, And it wasn't just a one-off thing. It's multiple, multiple times it's happened. Uh, there's been a lead to calls for Queensland Privacy and Human Rights Commission um, to the state government is saying, well, we're, we're looking at you because you're the one who said it was private data and we're looking at uh, the police. Then we're going to ask them to um, wake up to themselves. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot they can do. They are just human rights commissioners, but they're not. They're kind of like the ACCC. They, they don't actually have power. They can go, you're a naughty boy and shouldn't have done that, but they can't really do much about it. It's it. Um, yeah, earliest month, Western Australian government did the same thing. Uh, it does say here. It was them. And apparently Victorian authorities have been um, trying to do it, but they're having more trouble getting the data. So they have the, poli- the police have no trouble breaking privacy laws, um, and they're trying to conv- coerce the uh, COVID safe people to giving them that access to the data in Victoria as well so uh, so yeah so another reason yet to not to use it um, not that it works <sighs> anyway it's still another broken thing but um, so yeah uh, data, they're saying data is supposed to be held for 28 days they're seeing reports of data being held for at least 56 days if not longer jeez so data's being held twice as long as it's supposed to be. It's being given to people who aren't supposed to have it. It's being used for situations not supposed to be used for. So stop giving people... Stop, Just stop. Stop checking in. Just stop checking in. You don't need to anyway. There's absolutely no law to say you can. Even the Prime Minister's admitted that he can't actually make you do it. He just wants people to. Um, and the, the Human Rights Commission have re- released a press statement saying that we tell you, they specifically released a statement saying, do not check in, it is against privacy, it's a breach of the Privacy Act. Uh. It's <clears throat> like, they've literally come out and said this, the government is in breach of the Privacy Act and they are trying to ch- chase them down, but there's no, it doesn't achieve anything. Um, no, this government does whatever they want. Unfortunately, that's right. And the pr- problem is people are just sheep and go, yes, sir, the government's looking after me. I better do what they say. It'll secure my death. That's why I opted out of my health. Hmm. Yep. Because yeah, I just... don't believe they would keep it safe and secure. <laughs> Neither did they when they said it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh... Um, 
but yeah, so there's another another nail in the coffin for. I was thinking the, the phrase nail in a coffin. How'd you do that? <laughs> uh, it's the nail sticking out of your head. See, that's what gave it away. <laughs> Actually, for me, I was watching uh, Happy Gilmore earlier and it's the Jaws dude with the nail and he's sticking out of his oh, head. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's like, just, just stop. You know, they're like, all oh, these people are, uh, you know, we've had no deaths, but that's not the point. The, fi- the, 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 vac- the vaccines have killed hundreds of times more people than the virus has but don't worry about that and 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 we're going to lock you down because nobody's got it but if you stop getting freaking tested nobody can test positive to a false test can they anyway people don't like well it. it's obviously all the tracking's working which is why we're all locked down again everywhere yeah it's working so well they don't know where to lock down so they just lock everything down yeah oh wait they already did that. Not New South Wales. <coughs> it's something that Dictator Dan does down in Victoria. New South Wales doesn't lock down. They just put restrictions on that you can't go anywhere or do anything, yeah. but it's not a lockdown. No, it's not a lockdown, no. No, that'd be not a lockdown. That'd be unethical. We wouldn't put you in a lockdown. <sighs> <laughs> it's so dumb. Yet yeah, they've just passed a law saying that, or they're trying to pass a law currently, saying that all um, babysitters and... Um, uh, daycare centers and home daycare and all this sort of stuff, they have to ask the kid, no matter how young this child is, they have to ask the child if the child's okay with them changing their nappy. Uh. So they expect a zero month old to understand the concept of freedom and consent, yep. and yet they're quite happy to take that away from adults. Anyway, this is the wrong show for me ranting. I'll get in trouble. I always you get, need a show for that. I always get the emails going, this isn't a political show. Stop it. This week in rants. Twer. 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 Australia's open banking scheme has reached its next major milestone. Didn't know it had the first one, did you? I was going to say, well, what was the other one? <laughs> with all banks and credit unions now expected to share basic consumer data with individuals and registered data holders. From today, non-major authorised deposit-taking institutions, ADIs, will be required to join big four banks as data holders under the Consumer Data Right Scheme, CDR. As data holders, institutions will initially need to share data on savings and transaction accounts, as well as credit and debit cards with individuals if they request it. The data will also be available to a handful of data recipients that have been accredited by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission to use the data to provide product or service. A phased approach will then see ADIs share data for home loans and personal loans from November, followed by other loans and lines of credit, trusts and retirement accounts from February 2022. Commonwealth Bank, ANZ, Westpac and NAB have been sharing this consumer data under phases 1, 2 and 3 of the scheme since February after first joining the CDR in July 2020. But even as CDR enters its next phase, only a handful of Tier 2 lenders have currently signed on as data holders, while the remaining delaying their entry, some by up to 18 months. In addition to the big four banks, 10 additional ADIs and their respective bands brands have become data holders at the time of publication. Two of these, including Regional Australia Bank, which became a data holder late last year, and Australian Military Bank, including RSL Money, have done so using fintechbizza.io's CDR solution. Macquarie Bank, Suncorp, Citigroup, AMP, Judah Bank, Judo Bank, that sounds like a cool one. FPOS provider Tyro and Neo Banks up in Vault have also become last minute data holders, which ACCC's website shows as occurred in the last three weeks. I wonder if this is going to um, let them set up a common API so you could use software like Mint, which they do in the US. You can just log on to your bank with the Mint software and it'll tell you what's, how your spending's going, what you're spending so much money on, what percentage of your well, pay goes to where and help you, um, well, you can manage already, it. already do that with Zero. And Tyro is a bank primarily before they're an FPOS company. Right. I never heard of them till now. Tyro. Mm. They're big in the FPOS and especially in small business because they're very low fee. Uh, like Square. Um but Tyro started off as a bank, and right. then they and then they do the FPOS thing. So they've got their own. When you sign up for a Tyro FPOS terminal, they like they prefer it if you sign up for a bank account as well because the clearing funds go into that account every day. Then they transfer from there into your bank, so they get one day of interest on all their transactions. Yep. Uh, which 
offset some of the fees you'd pay for the FPOS machine. Yep. So it's not a bad way of doing it. <clears throat> um, and if you use if you use Zero, uh, it integrates with the Square and Tyro and Westpac and NAB. Like it integrates with all these things already, and it has your feed when you log in. It gives you the feed and watch oh, right. your you you know expenditures and your expenses and profit and loss, and it's all all integrated in there. So. They need something like that for um, consumers. Most consumers don't need that, though. Well, that's why they got the um, mint company in the US that are consumers use that to monitor their spending and see how much they spend on food, entertainment, you can do travel. It. Mint is a company that well, there's mint here as well, and it's a company you can do. And you could do the same thing with something like Zero because you could have a personal account. I think it's nine dollars a month or something for a personal account. And it would do the same thing, but most users don't need that. There's there's only a select few who that would be a thing that you'd need to do. Um, most people just can get away with using a spreadsheet, a Excel spreadsheet. Honestly, like it's the same ten bills every month. Like very little changes for the, for most people. Yeah. You know, unless you're and if you're a high fire or executive or somebody who's going on holidays every three months anyway, you're not doing your own book work. Somebody else. No. Is. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Do it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> speaking of high flyers and executive type, uh, two high-profile Microsoft presidents are leaving the company. <gasps> Kate Johnson and Tony Towns Whitley. Uh. Um, Kate Johnson, president of Microsoft US, and Tony Towns Whitley, president of Microsoft US Regulated Industries, both leaving the company. The pair announced uh, their departures over the past two days. Both are leaving for personal reasons. Johnson has been president of Microsoft for four years. She led a 10,000-person strong team and was accountable for $45 billion in profit. And Towns Whitley has been the president of US regulated industries for three years. Her, she's been responsible for a 2,000-plus person team and $11 billion profit and loss. $11 billion profit. So they're leaving... Um, in a statement, Microsoft just basically said that, uh, what did it say? Uh, they're leaving, have decided to leave the company due to personal reasons. We are deeply, deeply grateful for their respective contributions and wish them all the best. That's about all I say about that. But, something a little bit fishy there, because on the same day they announced their resignation, Microsoft and Google have decided to stop playing nice. Yeah. <clears throat> the two tech giants recently ended up a year-long truce during which they agreed not to aim their substantial lobbying firepower. Firepower, Mr. <laughs> Till Wilkinson. Firepower against each other with uh, regulators around the world threatening to impose limits on the power of the biggest technology companies. The two rivals, which compete in the web service, cloud computing and artificial intelligence, are now free to step up behind-the-scenes lobbying efforts and public complaints against one another. The old non-aggressive pact forged at the time of two new CEOs wanting a fresh start and a formally acrimonious relationship. There's your big word for the day. Had already been yeah. fraying. <laughs> yeah, that one. Had already been fraying before it lapsed in April. The company's feared publicly over a proposal to forge Google to pay news publishers for context and squabbled more quietly over technology for selling search ads. And neither company is eager to extend or renew the alliance. According to people familiar with each company's thinking who aren't allowed or authorised to discuss confidential relationships. Uh, and yet, that's exactly what they just did. did. <laughs> <laughs> so, <And> just, just <laughs> by saying that you're not allowed to doesn't negate <laughs> the fact that that's literally what you just did. <laughs> uh, uh, dear. But yeah. And Sachin such, such Nadella's just become the CEO and chairman instead of just the CEO. Yeah, so he's got a beef against Google. Must do. Mm. Mustn't be vegan then. <laughs> with, a name, <laughs> with a name like that, it's surprising. Where's the beef? <laughs> Show us the beef. Bring back the beef. <laughs> oh wait, those bring back the beef. Oh well, <laughs> close enough. Wasn't wasn't he in uh, Back to the Future? <laughs> beef. Yeah. Or Reg. I'm, I'm pulling your car sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second card, I promise. Under the bonnet, son. <laughs> That'll be the phone, Reg. That'll be the phone, Reg. 
How, that, that came into Australian vernacular pretty much, didn't it? Well, Anytime my, the phone went off, that'll be the phone, Rich, Sonia's, under the bonnet, son. Sonia's dad, um, his name's Steve, but we ha- we know three Steves. So he's Reg, after answer the phone, Reg. Yep. And then another Steve friend of ours is called Princess, because when he gardens, <laughs> he wears gloves, so we call him his Princess Gloves. <laughs> another Steve I know is just called Steve. So... Uh. <laughs> One of the new guys studying at HP when we were in Brisbane, they called him Princess. <laughs> he was young and fresh and would do anything anyone said, even if it meant working overtime for free. And he was, yep, I'm going to do it for the customer. I'm like, the you're aren't you? Yep. <laughs> They're going to take advantage of you and run over you. I turn up, oh, I'm here to fix a computer. Oh, can you do it five? No, obviously it's not that busy, yeah. not that important. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Hey, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> oh, all right. You can have it for an hour and fix it. Good. That's a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? That's it. <laughs> do you want it fixed or do you want it not fixed? I'm not going to do free, free working and stay back till midnight for you. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> That's one thing used to annoy me with service contracts because technically they're paying their monthly fee for service contracts and they'd because they're already paying you for 100 hours a month or whatever, yep. they're getting towards the end of the month and you've only put 20 hours in, you get called for every little thing. thing that happens. <laughs> Somebody knocked over the coffee machine and somehow it's my responsibility to go and fix it. <laughs> you know, Somebody's been hanging their feet on the network cable behind the computer so they can keep their feet up and they snap the cable and pull it out of the back of the computer and wreck the network card that's built into the computer motherboard at 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. And, and it's somehow it's my job to fix it. <laughs> that's, uh, a, that, that's a down... If, if you're in an industry where service contracts are a thing, and most industries have those to some degree, yep. put specifications in place so that doesn't happen. You want us there, fine. We can be there between 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. You know, you don't get us at six o'clock of a morning, and we don't stay there till six o'clock of a night. If you've got a problem, it's between ten and two. If it gets to two days at the end of the month, and you've still got thirty hours up, too bad because I don't work more you than between out. ten and two. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you're paying for service contracts. You're not paying for me for petty things that you should be able to fix. If I have to come and fix something that literally takes me two seconds, and I could have done it over the phone when I asked you, "Have you restarted your computer?" and you say no, you'll be charged an additional fee because that's not part of the service contract. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Better learn the hard way. Yep. Windows 11 won't run on many current Windows machines. We do know that only yeah. certain processes will be supported, only 64-bit machines will be supported, and only machines with a TPM chip will run Windows 11, and that's TPM version 2.0. A lot of them came with 1.2, and which with is not chip. supported. And a lot of them come without the chip. They come with the support for it, as we discovered. Yeah, well, my brand new motherboard I bought this mm. year, and a not very cheap computer, the latest everything, has the pin headers for TPM, yep. but it doesn't have the TPM. And I uh, emailed the guys I got it from, and they're like, none of none of our motherboards have got TPM built in. In fact, we don't know any that do. No. But people in the US are like, oh, yeah, I bought a computer two years ago. It's got TPM 2.0 built into the CPU. Oh, really? Yeah. They're like, mine's fine. It's just because there's a, for people who are listening, there's a Windows health check program you can download, which will look at the setup of your computer and see if it's got all the things required for Windows 11, which it probably hasn't. And there's also um, the TPM chip might be disabled in the BIOS. And it's not called TPM, it's called like PTT. Yeah. And do you think Joe User is A, going to know what a <laughs> TPM is? B, know how to check if it's in there. C, change a no the to BIOS. look in the BIOS and change a BIOS yeah. to make, even if he does have the TPM in there, he has to edit. People, people are not going to do Windows my, 11. My, well, you know what my system specs are. Mine doesn't have it. Either. Mine's got the header for it, but no chip. Yeah. And I looked and the chip is available. I can purchase the chip yep. for $450. Holy crap. My motherboard cost me 200 uh, that means I have a six hundred and fifty dollar motherboard if I want that chip. Yeah. Well, they said we we don't actually have any TPM chips no, I can't in any of our branches. We can order you one, especially if you really yeah. like. And I'm like, I got order it maybe from maybe I will have to order it from the UK or something. But 
anyway, finish the story off. But yeah, I'll talk yeah. about that in a sec. So what does it mean for you and me? It means many machines will be left behind. They'll become the walking dead, unable to upgrade, but still shambling along. The biggest concern, of course, is security. For those who pay, Windows 7 security updates will be available through January 2023. It's not easy for smaller businesses and individuals to get that support, but it's there. Mainstream, mainstream support for Windows 8 and 8.1 is over, but extended support is available through January 2023. Windows 10 support, especially for those abandoned by Windows 11's restrictive update policy, will end in October 2025, but may be extended. The good, that's good news because there are roughly 1.3 billion Windows 10 devices out there. How many won't be able to upgrade? That's not a question we don't know the answer to now. Some machines will be left behind despite owners' preferences. Many others will remain behind because their owners either don't know how, don't care, or refuse to upgrade. Others can't upgrade because they're reliant on legacy software that only runs on the older machines. Mm -hmm. No matter the reason, expect millions of Windows 10 machines to be in the wild for a decade or more, each and ever increasing magnet for malware, each and ever increasing danger to other machines that might encounter and infect. Even if you and I are stuck on Windows 10, we still have a good four years of support. That gives us four years to come up with a replacement plan, which is more than enough time. For those of you who choose, hell no, I won't go, it gives you time to ascertain security risks of running unprotected and find ways to protect those legacy machines. I'm in I think there's going to be such a low adoption rate for Windows 11. I'm still running Windows 7 on some of my computers. Shit, I've yeah. got a computer down the shed that's still on XP. <laughs> Purely for driver compatibility reasons. It's doing fine. <clears throat> well, it, I mean, it's not hooked up to the internet anyway. It's just it just runs a laser cutter. But it's it's software reasons it's on that. But um, there's a... There, okay, so here's the thing. In literally five seconds, all these problems can be solved. When you create a boot disk for Windows 11, there's one file that you have to move from one folder to another folder. Fixes the problems that won't do a hardware check and install on anything. Ah. So. That's the kind of thing that's happened in the past, hasn't it? Yeah. There's just been one, you could edit one file and change a zero to a one or a no to a yes, and then suddenly your computer works with everything. Yep. It was back when Windows XP came out, your system needed a minimum of 128 meg of RAM uh, to install. And most of my systems, well, at least all the laptops at the time were only 64 meg. Yep. So you could just change one file on boot up and it would install, it wouldn't do a memory check. It's like an any file <laughs> or something. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Just, it's literally the same thing. It's, a, it's still an any file on Windows <laughs> 11. And you literally just move it from one folder to the other and it won't do the hardware check and it'll install. Right. And most people who have done checks, at least on YouTube, you look around, a lot of people have put them onto all sorts of random hardware. Yep. And like they work perfectly. Like there's almost no systems... There's even some systems that were running XP and 7 that wouldn't run 8 or 10, but they'll run 11. Ah, what about Windows 9? <laughs> so, what about Windows 9? Wasn't that, <laughs> wasn't that Vista? Um, uh, and, and so, yep. the other option is, that's becoming a strong counterpoint to that, is Linux. Yep. There's many Linux variables now that are indeed... Almost Windows. So there's there's Linux and there's a few of them that actually look exactly like Windows and operate. Ninety nine percent of the software that would operate under Windows runs under these. Yeah. Um. So it's not that far fetched to that Linux might become a thing again. Um. So yeah, but I think look, it's at least if you're on Windows ten now. So you got to think. There's a whole heap of Nucks and stuff like that that are released. That'll run 10, but they won't run 11. They physically just don't have the hard drive space and the memory to do it. Yeah. <coughs> so, I mean, Windows 10 now, what is it, another five years before they're going to pull support? Possibly as much as seven years. Let's face it, 90% of the hardware that's around now won't be around in five to seven years' time anyway. Mm. Hardware just doesn't last that long anymore. It's no longer 10, 15 years. I think part stuff. of the problem is there'll be a lot of people who just can't afford to buy another computer in that time. Well, as I said, a lot of the hardware is not going to be around. They're not going to have a choice. The hardware is physically going to fail. Um, so I don't think it's going to be more of an issue for businesses than for individuals because most computers, you know, now, if you bought a computer now, you're still five years away. So I can't see, knowing the quality of the computers that are available, unless it's a custom-made system like the one you and me have got, 
Yep. If it's an off-the-shelf compact or HP or, or whatever, <coughs> um, well, we've gone through at work, sitting there as a point-of-sale system doing almost nothing. Yep. Two years, and they're yep. done. So I can't see too many systems being around in five years' time for it to be an issue. Um, and I can see a link somebody was talking about on uh, Reddit. They were saying that computers from, I think it was 2016, all computers were supposed to be required to come with TPN 2.0, even if it wasn't enabled or used. I think that was only in the States, I think. Uh, yeah. Because that's where I can get the chip for mine. I can get it from the States. Um, but they're expensive because they're not supposed to be... You have to find basically a dead motherboard yep. and get the chip off it because the chips aren't supposed to be sold separately. Uh, well, at least not that I can... At least not for my board anyway. Yep. Um, so I have to basically purchase a dead motherboard and hope that the chip's still okay. <laughs> <laughs> and hope it's got the chip. Yeah, well, that's it. So that's why it's you know, $400 purchase because you're buying a motherboard plus freight plus everything uh, else. Jeez. You know, so it's, it's so dumb. <sighs> Microsoft, I mean, just stop it. I don't know. We, I mean, but we say the same thing every time another version of Windows comes in. And it is true. You look at the release patterns of every Windows that come out and there is less adoption. More people are either sticking with older software or they are moving to a different platform. Get a Mac. You know. Um, a lot. Of, well, no, because people are being driven away from Mac recently as well because of the crap they're pulling. Yeah. Um, statistically, Linux is starting to actually become a very big player. Pick up, yeah. The biggest problem with Linux is such a stagmented industry. There are so many flavors of Linux that unless you know what you're looking at, they like know. elementary OS. It runs the Minecraft servers nicely. Yeah. Um, but this is the thing. With Linux, you almost have to know what you want to do with it before you do it. Yeah. Because you need to install a version of Linux that will support your future what operations. You <laughs> um, the only good thing about it is you can install 30 versions of Linux to do all sorts of different things, and it's not an issue. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it goes into a bootloader, and you just pick which version you want. So that's not really a... And they can all know, be live... Yeah. Um, so, you know. One good thing Apple did is they've just released um, Lion and Mountain Lion for free. Yeah. Which is like seven years old. I was but... going to say it. <laughs> At least they didn't just. Finally. But I mean, there's still a lot of old Macs just inherently because of the, the older quality of the Macs were good quality machines. Yeah. There's still a lot of the older Macs still kicking around. I mean, they do their forced planned obsolescence by saying, no, we won't let any new programs be submitted to the App Store unless it only runs on the latest two operating systems from Mac and the others it won't run on. Yeah. Which is why they don't want sideloading. Because if, mm. if they allow sideloading, it's going to stop that from being a thing. So, but yeah, I don't know. Look, I, it's uh, it's too, too early to tell. We'll see what happens. I mean, it may even be that in a month's time, Microsoft goes, well, we won't have the TPM thing then if it's, you know. But you got to remember, as I said, it's compulsory in the States. They look at their, their biggest market share. Who knows? Yep. But no, apparently, if you change that file, it runs on just about anything. So it's, it's not that much of a big deal. Um, might make some installers some money for But the other thing, the biggest issue is going to be um, corporate. You know, especially if you've got a... a you know, a couple of floors worth of dumb terminals. Yeah. You know, that's a big expense. For, and some of the software, like Blue Iris, for example, which is the security software, only runs on Windows 10. It doesn't run on any other version of Windows. Yeah. It doesn't have, you know, or Linux or anything. It literally is only Windows 10. So, and that's a one-man band. He's a single guy programming it when he can, updating it when he can. Does a really good job of it, but I can't see him rewriting the entire thing to push it across to a different version of Windows. Nah. So, no. We'll see what happens, I guess. Hmm. Um, speaking of a one-man team, Simon Pegg. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's all. That's all I got. All right. Thanks for <laughs> Um So Simon Pegg is... So most people who listen to this show, I'm sure, are aware of Galaxy Quest. Yep. One of the greatest cult movies of, of the, the 2000s, really. Like, it has a massive cult following. And it's a good 
funny movie, Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, <coughs> all the great actors. Um, Monk. Monk. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember his name. That's how I know him as. We need your help. <laughs> and they, actually, he's a really well-known actor too. He's a British actor, I think, isn't he? Yeah. The guy who plays that lead, and I can't think of his name either. But, um, yeah, he's going to um, be rewriting Galaxy Quest um, as a... Um, Tony Shalhoub as, as a series. born in Wisconsin. <coughs> That's him, Shalhoub, yeah. You get US. born in Wisconsin. Okay, I thought he was English. Huh. He just always plays English characters. Seems to be. <laughs> Um, yeah, he, so he's writing a series of of uh, Galaxy Quest. Gonna hopefully, follow it up and see how it goes. Um, yeah, so television spinoff. They haven't really released much about it, other than they're trying to get um, trying to get approval from. I think they're looking at doing it with Amazon. Um, they're looking at bringing back as many members of the original cast as they can, which is potentially a problem because they're not all around. Um, Tim Allen's up for anything. Like he, he'll go to the opening of a of a bottle of champagne. He will like us, you yeah. know. Um, Sigourney Weaver, who knows? She's probably a bit busy, but um, it'll have as much of the original cast as possible interacting with the new cast. <clears throat> um, they're taking the premise of the new Star Trek movie that featured new cast with the timeline split. How they went through the black hole and split the timeline. That's how they got away changing the cast. And same principle. Yep. That's basically what they're going to do. So they're going to have some new cast interacting with some of the old cast. They're going to be doing different things. Um, they actually started in um, 2009. It was originally thought of to be a series instead of a movie. Then they wrote it uh. into a movie and released it. And then it was um, 2016, uh, Alan Rickman passed away. Um, but it was about that time they were actually talking about a spin-off series then. But when he passed away, they mothballed that idea. Uh, um, but they've taken it back out of mothballs again. And they're uh, going to see if they can make it happen. So, I mean, he's a funny bugger. So He wrote uh, at least one of the Star Trek movies. Yeah. Um Co-writing uh, Star Trek Beyond, yeah, 2016. Yeah, um, he's done a done a lot of stuff. He's been in a million things. He's been in many things that you don't even realise it's him half the time. Who uh, knew he was Scottish? <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I don't know. Um. <sighs> If it was, it's hard with cult stuff. <clears throat> That's why there's never really been another attempt at like Greece and, um, uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and, um, uh, those sort of movies because, uh, um, wow, complete blank. The Rocky Horror stuff like that—they—they they kind of, the industry kind of steers away away from doing remakes of of cult movies because it's a v- very fine line between all your audience appreciating it and pissing off every single person. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and how do you do it? Well, Tron found that out the hard way. They they really walked that line very carefully when they really did Tron. <clears throat> um. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm all for it if it, as long as it has that. <laughs> I guess it's almost the Orville again, isn't it? Like, the Orville took the Galaxy Quest parody of Star Trek as inspiration. Yep. So, it's almost like if you're going to do a new season of Galaxy Quest, you need to take the Orville for inspiration. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of that... Feed off each other. Yeah, it's kind of that, that thought process. It, it needs to be that <clears throat> that flippant, light-hearted, almost always irrelevant feel. And then there's 10 minutes of really intense yeah. things happening. 
and then it's back to that flippant irrelevancy again. Like that, that's what it needs to be. It, and it, they need to be really careful with it. But yeah, I'll you know. You know what I'm gonna have to watch tomorrow now, don't you? Galaxy Quest. Yeah. I watched, have you watched the um the uh? <sighs> there's a fan movie where they got a lot of the cast back together and did behind the scenes, did interviews and. Oh no! Is that on YouTube or something? Uh I paid for it from the website. It was not much. It was six or seven bucks. Yeah, so it's an <laughs> actual... Um, I'm just quickly seeing if I can find it while I'm talking to you. But, yeah, it was actually a very, very well put together. It took them five years or something. Yep. Um, and uh, Never Surrender, it's called. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Um, and it's, yeah, it's really, really, it's really well done, basically. It's almost a, almost a movie in and of itself, even though it's sort of a behind the scenes things. But if you've, if you do, um, look up Never Surrender and buy it from the website, give the creators their credit. It's like five bucks. It's well worth the money. And I think, yes, it is available on certain places, but, um, (coughs) but yeah. No, it's it's definitely worth a watch. Mm. I'm gonna have to watch that again now. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Head Show. We can be found at Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Patreon, and Coffee. Email us Willa Warlock at AussieTechHeads.com.au and go to AussieTechRadio.com. Twenty four seven back to back playing the best tech related shows from Australia and New Zealand. See you next time. Bye.